Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. We live in a culture that doesn't want definitions because definitions bring restrictions. Definitions bring parameters. Definitions are narrow. And so most people want to define who or what God is for themselves. Truth. It seems that we live in a culture that plays fast and loose with the truth, particularly the truth about God. It's not enough for me to say, oh, I believe in God or I love God. If I'm going to love him in truth, then I have to be able to define both love and my concept of God. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. In our current series, we're building on the basic of love and what it means to walk in it. The New Testament book of 1 John is filled with references to love. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, love has an inseparable connection with truth. In other words, love has to be based on truth or it isn't real love. It's the importance of knowing what is truth and what is not truth in regards to what you believe about God. What you believe, how you believe, matters. Nowhere is that more true than when talking about love for God. False teachers were infecting the church with heresies that threatened to pervert the church's understanding of who God is. And as you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, if you don't know the truth about who God is, you can't worship Him as the true God. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message. First John, going to jump right into it this morning, really uh, got to get going on this, see how far we get. First John, we're in chapter 2, uh, we started there last week in verses 15 through 29, uh, only got really 15 through 19, uh, kind of figured that's how far I'd get. Uh, we're going to try and get all the way through the rest of it, uh, 20 through 29 this morning, but we'll see. But uh, got a lot to say, all right? All right? Can I say this at the beginning? Y'all listen to me? Some of this today is going to be a lot. Okay, going to be a lot to think about this morning. So cl- close your Facebook accounts, close Twitter, unless you're going to tweet something about the message or the awesome worship or whatever. But it's going to require you to think this morning, okay? It's, that's not a bad thing, by the way. Oh, but it's the weekend. I don't want to think about anything, okay? First John, chapter 2. Here's, here's an idea we talked about last week. I'm not going to read the verses again. I'm not really going to talk much about it because I'll get into some of the background in just a minute. But last week, the only thing we touched on was the danger of the world in verses 15 through 19, okay? All right, let's pick it up and let's read the rest of it this morning, beginning in verse 20 uh, through the end of the chapter, all right? You guys with me? Where are we starting? Verse 20, that's right, good job. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know, I, ha- I have written, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning abides in you. You also will abide in the Son and the Father. This is the promise which he made himself made to us, eternal life. 
These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. God, uh, today as we read this text, uh, John's saying a lot. It's, it's moving quickly uh, as he's moving through these thoughts. And I just pray for clarity for myself and for these people gathered here, the people who will watch uh, this message, uh, some people right here in this area, some people on the other side of the world uh, that, that watch our broadcast at times. Lord God, thanks for that. Uh, may your word uh, complete uh, its uh, intended purpose as it goes out to speak to people. Uh, may you be honored and glorified. May we be edified. Uh, as a result of this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, all right, I probably wasn't supposed to read all that at one time. It probably wasn't up on the screen, but we'll get into it. All right, so we, last week, danger of the world. This week, here's where we're starting. The deception of bad theology, verses 20 to 23, which I just read a second ago, and I'll get back into in a moment. The deception of bad theology. Let me say it again. You're going to have to focus this morning. You're going to have to think about some of this as we talk about it, okay? It is the deception of bad theology. For the last few weeks, we have been walking through some, uh, some concepts or some ideas that John gives uh, about how a person uh, can know that they are in a relationship with Jesus Christ or not, right? If you've been with us, you know we talked about this, that John seems to be hammering this idea that there are people who think they're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they actually are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, he seems to indicate that he, that he, he, he seems to say, I'm not saying that you guys are this way, as he's writing to them. He says, I don't think that's you, but you need to be aware that there are people who profess Christ, but who do not possess Christ, Right? You remember that if you were here? He seems to be hammering that idea. And so he gives these, what I, what I think you could call these tests, these ways for you to determine whether you're in a relationship with God or not. Uh, the first test that we looked at is what uh, I called the walking test. You may remember that. Um, John said earlier up in the chapter that if, you, if, you, if the love of God is in you, if you have a relationship with God, that you will keep his, say it, you remember? Commandments. You will keep his commandments. And he goes on to say, you will walk the way Jesus walked. In other words, you will make decisions. You will make choices. Your actions, your attitude, your conduct will all be based on the idea of, of this is how Jesus would do it. And so that's, that's how I'm going to do my life. As he, as he empowers me, that's how I'm going to do my life. It's the walking test. And then we got into what, what I refer to as the love test. Do you remember he says, he says, this is one of the ways that you can know, because he says, if you love your brother, and the context is quite clear, he's not referring to your biological brother, that's, 
that, that's a given. Anybody can love their brother or hate them at times. But you know what I'm saying. If anybody can do that, no, who he's referring to is, the, is your spiritual brother or sister in Christ. This person that identifies with Christ, that's a part of the family of God, that you love that person. Right? Y'all remember that? If you're here. And he says, remember guys, it, we're not just talking about a fond thought or an affection for all oh, that, that person. So I, I just love that person. No. God's idea of love is that it is a... You're more important than me. I'll sacrifice for you. I'll serve alongside of you. I'll do whatever you need. I'll help you in any way I can kind of love. That's what it means to love your brother. It's not always easy, is it? Is it? Is it always easy to love me? No, no, it's not. My wife said yes, but she knows it's not always easy to love. Right? It's not always, cause, right? Because we're all different and we're all like, well, why can't they just, you know, but, but this, is the, this is the command on our life, to love our brother. I don't forget if it was last week, Ernie, or a week before last, but in, in our life group, um, somehow something about the HGTV uh, dream home came up and uh, somebody said or came out, whatever, that I, that I, I enter the HGTV dream home. Uh, and I do, I, I enter the HGTV. By the way, by the way, do you know if you win the HGTV Dream Home, you're going to owe just under $700,000 in taxes? That's the average. Uh, that's why I looked it up. Hardly, I don't think anybody that's ever won it actually lives in the home. A few people have tried, but unless you're already a millionaire when you win it, you can't afford the home because the federal government says that they just treat that as income. You just made $1.2 million this year. And so, anyway, just thought y'all would like to know that if it comes up. Now, you can sell it and, and hopefully make some money and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, so it came out that I, that I entered the HGTV uh, Dream Home giveaway. And so uh, my brother Ernie said, if you win the HGTV Dream Home, uh, can I have your home? Can I have the home you have now? And I don't think I answered him, but I was thinking, I love you, brother. I just don't love you that much. It is this idea of sacrifice and, and what am I willing to do or what does my brother or my sister in Christ need and how am I willing to, what, what, where do I draw the line and say, no, I, I, won't, I won't do that for them. Or, or, you know, I understand you have to weigh out where are people and what their needs are and how, sometimes am I hurting them by, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's the love for, the, for the, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the love test, okay? And then, does anybody remember what the next test was? It was a test that uh, I guess we talked about last week. It was the world test. It was the world test. It's that he says the things that that uh, that are of the world. If that is the if that is the priority of a person's life, is that if that is the passion of their life, if that is the pursuit of their life, just just the the world or what I can have or or this what I'm focused on or my career or whatever whatever it is. But just this in this context, this things outside of of the spiritual matters. If that is a person's pursuit and passion and, and priority and all that sort of thing, then, then John just, he just states, he says, that's evidence that the love of the Father is not in them. No matter what they may say or profess. Now again, John says, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that, that that's the people I'm writing to, but you need to be aware, and I'll say it again, that there are people who profess Christ, but who do not actually possess Christ. They are the same people, in a sense, that the Apostle Paul is describing, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he says, they will maintain the outward appearance of religion, but will have repudiated its power. So avoid people like these. He's not saying that you don't try and minister or reach out to them. He's just saying that's, that they're, they're not actually part of the body, is really what he's saying. They've repudiated its power, because listen, can I, can I just real quick just say this to you, that 
that the power of the gospel is not only that it redeems us. Praise God that it redeems us. It, it takes uh, our, our sin away. It's not only that it redeems us, but it also reshapes us to look more like Jesus Christ, to be shaped into his image. And it refocuses uh, what is the priority of our life, and it repurposes our lives so that, that now it's for the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. That's what the power of the gospel can do and will do if it's real. That's what John is saying. That's, that's what happens to this. So, there's the test that we've looked at so far. John moves in to another test, and what we're looking at this morning, and it's what I would call the truth test. The truth test. It's the importance of knowing what is truth and what is not truth in regards to what you believe about God. The other tests that we've looked at previously, you could say that they were action-based, okay? Uh, if, if the love of God is in you, if you belong to God, this is what you will do, uh, this, this is what you won't do. They're, they're action-based. This test is more accuracy-based. What, what you believe, how you believe, matters. Uh, as I've, I said at the beginning of this, uh, so when I started this whole series, or at least when I started in First John, you may remember that I said... Because we're talking about love. And one of the things I said was that, that as we make our way through this letter, what you'll find is that there's an, an inseparable connection between love and truth. Do, you, do some of you remember you saying that, me saying that? Even if you don't, just lie and say you do. It makes, makes me feel good. Um, there's this inseparable connection between love and truth. In order for me to, to truly love, I have to, I, have to be able, I have to know what love is. So, in other words, it's not enough for me to say, oh, I believe in God, or I love God. No, if I'm going to love him in truth, then I have to be able to define those concepts, b- b- define both love and my concept of God. Would you, would you agree? Because you can't love God if you don't know who he is. By the way, we live in a culture, I don't even have to tell you this, we live in a culture that doesn't want definitions. Because definitions bring restrictions, definitions bring parameters, definitions are, are narrow. And so when it comes to defining love, our culture says, I don't, I don't want to define love. I want love to mean whatever I want it to mean. I want it to look however I want it to look. I, I don't want restrictions. I don't want, it, I don't want to narrow it. I don't want to say that this is how love has to be. And even worse, are y'all with me? Even worse is, is people's... Uh, unwillingness to understand or define or know for truth who or what God is. Most people want to define who or what God is for themselves. You guys work with some of those people. You go to school with some of those people. For instance, um, the deist, for example. The deist uh, would basically say that God is an entity that kind of got this whole thing going and um, he may or may not have his hands on the wheel at this point, but uh, but he's not he's not a personal God, not not in that sense. He's the pantheist would say that uh, God is everything, and and everything is is God. Uh, the pantheist would be more towards that idea that uh, that God is some sort of a, 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 a all powerful force that that flows in us and and through us and and binds us together. Obi Wan, the open. Theist 
says, believes that God is, is growing, God is expanding, God is learning, and, and he's making his mistakes along the way. The coexist crowd would say God reveals himself one way to the Hindus, one way to the Buddhists, one way to the Christians, one way to the Jews, but they would say that in the end we're all worshiping the same God. No, no, no. If, if we're going to know who God is, if we're going to love God, then we have to let God tell us who he is and, and who he is has to be based not on who we think he should be, not how our culture thinks God should look, but we have to let God tell us who he is. By the way, just for the record, this is what God says about this, Isaiah chapter uh, 46. Uh, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. So, John is dealing with truth and love. It's the truth test. Also, at the beginning of this uh, series, you may remember that I said that, uh, that, that John writes this letter, church tradition tells us, that John wrote this letter at the urging of church leaders during that time. Remember, this is first century A.D., about 2,000 years ago. John writes this letter at the urging of church leaders who were facing an increased number of heresies or false teachings that were going on in the world. You with me? More and more they're facing it and they're saying, oh goodness, we need help. And, and uh, some of those heresies were claiming that they had this special knowledge that had been passed down to them from the original disciples and they were the only ones that had it. And, and somebody thought, no, wait a minute. I'm pretty sure John's still around. He's one of those original disciples. Maybe we should ask him whether that stuff is true or not. And so they wrote it, he wrote it at their urging. Now, obviously he's writing it under the leadership of God. God is directing him as he's writing it. But people needed answers, just like people need answers today. People needed answers, and they need, needed to know how to answer some of these things that were coming up. And so he faces some of these, some of these false teachings, some of these heresies, right? One of the false teachings was, do you remember this one? Perfectionism. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Perfectionism, the idea, the belief that you could eventually reach a state of non-sin, that you would eventually reach this place in this life where you wouldn't, wouldn't sin. And John, no, that's not true. If you, you say you don't sin, you're a liar. You make God out to be a liar. And he deals with that. We looked at that earlier in this chapter. Uh, the second heresy or false teaching we looked at was antinomianism. Do you remember that one? Remember that word? Antinomianism, against law. Because they're like, it's all about grace. God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And so here's what you need to do. Go out and sin. Sin a bunch. Sin a lot. Because then it will display the grace of God to an even greater degree. God will be glorified even more because his grace will cover more sin. (laughs) And John's like, oh, no, back up the bus. That's not right either. We never taught that. Jesus never taught that. That's not right. It's not, not legalism. It's not antinomianism. Now, John begins to address another false teaching. Okay? And where the, I think I said this a second ago, but where the first one, first false teachings, uh, they, they weren't so much focused on the person of God. This one is, okay? And for the sake of argument, and those of you that know better than this, don't jump up and say, no, no, that's not true. For the sake of argument, I'm going to call uh, this false teaching Arianism. Even though, okay, for, all, for you church history people, even though I know Arianism, would, it wouldn't be called that for a couple of hundred years yet. 
Okay, Arius was this guy that lived third, fourth century who had some weird ideas about the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. And, and he stirred up this big stink in the church, which led to the, the first uh, ecumenical council, if you will, the first Nicene council in 325 AD. They're going to settle all this stuff and get it right and all this stuff. That, that, that's Arius. Okay, caused this big stink, stir, all this kind of stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen for a couple hundred years uh, after John is writing this letter, but clearly John is dealing with some people that have some, appear to have some screwed up ideas about the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. Look at it again in verses uh, 22 and 23. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, not the Antichrist that will come at the end times, but this is the spirit of the Antichrist, that, that person that will oppose the real Christ. That it, could, it could be a lot of people. This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Are y'all with me? You focused? Okay. To talk about the person that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Let me just say, in the day and age in which John wrote that, that would predominantly apply to Jews or people of a Jewish background because to them, the Christ, that's the Greek term, Messiah, Hebrew term, the Savior, to them, the Christ, that, that, that was a big deal, right? The Old Testament prophets were clear. God was going to send a deliverer. The Jews believed that. They were, they'd been looking for that deliverer for hundreds of years. Some people simply chose not to believe that Jesus was that one. They just, I don't, I don't believe that Jesus was the, the Christ, Today, uh, obviously that would still apply to uh, people of Jewish faith that still reject the idea of Jesus being the Messiah. It would also apply to Muslims. Uh, For Muslims hold uh, Jesus in very high regard as a great prophet, but they do not believe that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. By the way, it would apply to uh, atheists as as well, because an atheist uh, would look at the evidence and say, well, certainly a, a a person named Jesus lived in the first century, uh, but that's all he was. He was a person that lived, a person that died. Uh, he got a following up, apparently, to some degree, but, but that's all he would be. He's not the Christ. He's not the son of the living God to them. So you could say that those people are, are denying the, the exclusivity of Jesus as the Christ. Okay? Now, we, we just don't believe that, that he was the one. But think about it. The people that would deny that Jesus is the Christ would be people that are outside of the church, right? That makes sense. No, we just don't believe that he was the Christ. So people inside the church are people that profess that he's Jesus Christ. But outside the church, they, no, we don't, we don't believe that he was the Christ. They, they would just, they would deny that. We don't, we don't believe that, that he was who you said he was. We just choose. Now listen, that's tragic, because it means that they are rejecting God's only son, one and only provision for their sins for to be forgiven. It's tragic, but listen to me. It doesn't change the outlook of the church. Do you understand? It doesn't change the mission of the church. It doesn't change the church's theology. Do you understand? You with me? Come on. But somebody inside the church, if there, in other words, if there's somebody that professed that they believed in Christ, that would be a different ballgame. If somebody was inside the church, professed they believe in Christ, but they were 
they were reshaping or, or altering who Christ was or his relationship to the Father, that would be a big deal because it changes your very understanding of who God is. And I'll say it again, if you don't know who God is, you can't worship him as the true God. You have to know who he is. And so John is dealing with these, these people that, are, that have a, appear to have a screwed up idea between the relationship between God the Son and God the Father. So look at it again. Uh, in verse, latter part of verse 22, this is the Antichrist, the, that spirit of opposition to, to God. The one who denies, watch this, the one who denies the Father and the Son. You know, do, you, can, can, do you see this connection he's making? Do you see it? The one who denies, n- notice how he, he's, the, the, the equality between them denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. These are the people that you could say that they, they are uh, denying the equality of God the Son and God the Father. Well, okay, what, what does that mean? Well, why does that, why does that make any difference? If, if we're going to say, well, you know, okay, God the Son, maybe he's not quite God the Father or, or what? See, Arius, back, back to Arius. Arius taught, and those before him, And those after him taught that God the Son had been created by God the Father. And so, therefore, God the Son was not eternal. Therefore, he could not be all-powerful and was less of a God. They would still call him God, by the way, but they don't mean the same thing you do when you say it. He would be less God than God the Father. That's what, that's what Arius taught, and it appears to me from what John's taking on here, that there were people already who were beginning to say, well, you know, I, I don't know, maybe God the Son is not quite equal with God the Father. I, I don't know if it's just me, but it appears to me that John's going out of his way to point out the, the equality between the Father and the Son. Clay, Clay, okay, why does that, why, why does that make any difference for my life? Well, let me tell you this. Jesus Christ, God the Son, believed that he was equal to God the Father. Okay? Let's look at John chapter 8. So the Jews said to him, said to Jesus, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus had made this statement about Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now listen, that's not simply a, a present continuous tense. I mean, it is. But that literally was the name that God gave up for himself. Out, remember out in the desert with Moses? And, and Moses is going to go to the Egyptians. And, he's, and Moses is like, oh, but what if they won't listen to me? Or who should I say send me? And God said, you tell them that I am has sent you. So watch what happens. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Watch this. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the very person of God. John, real quickly, John chapter 10. Uh, I and the Father are, I'm sorry, what's that word? One. Well, maybe he didn't really, maybe that's not really what he meant. Okay, well, the Jews picked up stones to stone him again. Why? Because they knew exactly what he meant. I'm God, guys. Not, not me. Uh, it was Jesus. 
That's what Jesus is saying. I'm God, guys. Newsflash. I'm God. I've come down to earth. I'm, I'm living among you. I'm going to die for you. That's who I am. So here's why it matters. Here's why you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, is it 12 o'clock yet? Here's why it matters. Because if Jesus Christ, God the Son, is not equal to God the Father, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, Jesus is a sinner. And if Jesus is a sinner, Jesus cannot be the substitution, the payment for your sin. Because the law required a spotless lamb. Do you understand the significance of this? Yeah, this is a big deal, folks. If people say, well, you know, okay, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big, I want you to understand why it's important what you believe, okay? Now, how does, how does all of this, where, where does this come home in, in my life? I don't, Arius, that was, you know, uh, 1,700 years ago. John wrote this 2,000 years ago. All right, how, what is all this? Because here's what I want you to understand. The, the heresy, the false teaching that was around then, it's around during Arius' time. It's still around today. It takes on different names. It takes on different shapes. But it's still around today. You, all right? You know, here, here, here it is. Here it is. Two examples. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. That would be two examples of contemporary, modern-day uh, Arianism. Because they believe that God the Son was created. That He is not eternal. He was created. And is therefore less than God the Father. A Mormon or Jehovah's Witness will gladly tell you, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that it sounds much like what you would say you believe. But you see, that's what a, that's what a heresy will always do. Rarely will someone come to you with something so blatantly, obviously not true that you would reject it outright. No, it is almost always comes in the form of sounds a lot like the truth, but there will be subtle differences in it that have a huge impact on what you believe. So, you're at school, and a friend of yours uh, is a Mormon. Or you're at work, and somebody that works on the same floor of you, or in the same department as you, or whatever, is a Jehovah's Witness. And as you hopefully have opportunity to engage and be friends with them, and, and be a part of all of this, you have a decision to make. Do I just go with it? Do I just say, oh, yeah, oh, good, yeah. So we all kind of believe that. So do you just go with it? Or, or do you care enough about that person's eternal destiny to, say, to challenge them on what they believe? You understand what I'm saying? To challenge them on what they believe. Because, listen to me, a lie, a heresy can sound good initially, but it is no match for the truth. That, that's, that's just a fact. A couple of weeks ago, I was over at uh, my son Travis's house, and I was helping him... Uh, construct a, a tree house for his kids. I, I know me and construction, that sounds a little scary, but, uh, but, I, was, you know, but I was over there. I was work, and uh, and uh, two Mormon missionaries uh, came to the door. And, uh, and, and Travis, listen, Travis, in a very calm, very Christ-like manner, began to engage them. And I, listen, I, I just stayed, stayed totally out of it. I walked around with Ellie and doing whatever with uh, Emery and I just and I just let I just let him talk to them down there, and and I would go in, I'd listen, and I'd come back out, and listen. In, in the course, and I, he's not here today, so I, in the course of fifteen to twenty minutes, 
he literally had those guys absolutely speechless. They had absolutely nothing to say. Because I'll say it again, a lie can't stand the truth when you present the truth to them. And all he did was just challenge them on some of their beliefs and what those beliefs were based on. Why do you believe what you believe? You see, it's always coming back to that. And they, and they walked away literally with nothing to say. I was writing this message. Uh, I, gotta, I know I've got to close this. But I was, I was working on this message and I was winding it up Thursday. And I literally... I, literally, I kid you not, I literally was at the part where I was typing, I talked to him about this Travis and what happened a couple weeks ago and the Mormons, and my phone rings. Uh, I, I didn't recognize the number, but it, I answered the phone, but nobody was there. I hung up, and I mean, it was significantly tight. It's like five or six minutes later, a, you know, bloom, a voicemail comes up. So I listen to the voicemail. Gentleman t- tells me his name, says that he is a member of the local uh, LDS church, the Mormon church. Uh, that meets right around here. His kids go to Leeds World High School. And he said, I was just, I, was, I drive by your sign all the time. And I just drove by it. And he said, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to pick up the phone and, uh, and call you. So I'd like you to know if you'd ever like to get together and, uh, and talk about what we have in common and that sort of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, brother. <laughs> so, so I listened to the voicemail and I hadn't called him back. I, I, I knew I needed to and I was going to. And I said, Lord, I, I, clearly... This is an opportunity for divine something. I said, so I want to do the right thing. I know I need to call this guy back and, and uh, not telling him, you know, all that stuff. So yesterday, my phone rings again. And it was him calling me back. And I apologize for not, not getting back with him yet. And, uh, and he said, you know, just know if, if there's anybody in your church that's interested in Mormonism. I guess he was recruiting straight from the pastor. Uh, anybody interested in uh, Mormonism would like to talk more about it. And so I, I said to him, and I said his name. I said, sir, I... I I'm sure you understand there would probably be some pretty significant theological differences between what you believe and what I believe. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I know that. That's what I, oh, sure, sure, sure. I know that. But I, I'm sure we have much in common that we could sit down. So I told him, I said, I would love to sit down. I'd be happy to sit down and talk with you at, at any point. I said, I don't know that anybody in, in our church is interested in Mormonism, but, uh, but I'll be happy to sit down and talk with you. I don't know what becomes of it. I don't know what, but I know this. This is what I, I generally believe. That, if, if it's true that God sparked that man in that moment, he saw our sign to pick up the phone and call, call me at the exact moment when I'm writing and throwing Mormonism under the bus, because it's where it belongs, quite honestly, um, that the exact moment that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm throwing Mormonism under the bus, that can't be an accident. I, I believe that God is, was stirring that man's heart to perhaps have an opportunity to hear the truth. And I, I hope we do. I hope we have a chance to get together and, and share the truth from it. By the way, it may not be right. By the way, and this I'll close. We'll finish this out next week. By the way, do you know where the number, the overwhelming number of converts to Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses comes from? Not from the unchurched, ladies and gentlemen, but from the church. The overwhelming number of converts into that, those belief systems come out of the church because, I'm just going to say it, because of of theologically light material that people don't know what they believe, don't know why they believe it, and they don't know why it matters. Listen, it is the danger, the deception of bad theology. It's around you more than you realize. Know what you believe. Be willing to stand on what you believe. And then, as John's already alluded to, then go out and live what you believe. Well, we certainly hope that today's message has been an encouragement to you. The Apostle John wrote his letter to people that he believed had the truth, but he knew that the false teachers would try and lead people away from the truth and away from God. 
As Pastor Clay pointed out today, much of the false teaching that went on in John's day is still around today. It may have different names, but the result is the same, to make Jesus Christ the Son of God other than who He is. Because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we can recognize the truth and abide in it. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.